Hey, I'm Mia Hemstad. I'm a wife, I'm a mom of two kids, and I'm a trauma-informed self-care coach. I also live with diagnosed PTSD and depression. I started sharing my mental wellness journey online in 2017 when I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and anxiety. And since then, I've heard from hundreds of women who all struggle with the same thing, putting ourselves last. This is a struggle that's keeping so many women burned out and unhappy, through no fault of our own, by the way. I've been working on my own healing as an abuse survivor since 2013. But when I became a mom, I really started to do the inner work of figuring out why I was putting myself last and how to start prioritizing myself for the first time in my life. This podcast is about sharing all of those lessons with you. So if you're interested in hearing honest stories, life advice, and inspiration that encourages you to make your health, happiness, and well-being a priority, then definitely stick around. Welcome to your No Longer Last journey. Hey everybody, Mia here. Welcome back to the podcast. We took a couple of weeks off and we're in the new year and I'm very excited to uh, just dive back in. I have so many amazing pieces of content and resources planned and this episode in particular was voted on um, in my Instagram stories. I was asking people and polling people what they wanted to hear from me in the new year and this episode on how to manage household tasks, parenting, and the mental load as parents was the most voted on, people were like, yes, let's talk about it. And this episode idea was inspired by an Instagram post that I created recently talking about the challenges that my husband and I have gone through the last few years since the pandemic. He lost his job. We've gone through a lot of financial uncertainty. We've gone through an international move and navigating building a new life in a foreign country. And we've both had our fair share of mental health flare-ups, as you can imagine. Things have been really, really hard. And I've thought long and hard about whether or not I want to share this part of my life online because, you know, it's personal. And there's some things I just want to keep private and to myself. But after three years of coaching women and mothers especially, I am... (laughs) It's just so... It's so important that we talk about how our partnerships and our marriages impact our ability to prioritize our health, happiness, and well-being. They're integral. They're they're inseparable. And so to me, speaking on this in uh, hopefully a helpful and practical way will help all of you have more what I like to call fair and equitable partnerships, okay? I'm going to interchange between marriage and partnerships. Please know that you can apply this in whatever situation you're in. Um, But, you know, the bottom line is the more fair and equitable the labor is in the home, the easier it is going to be for you to take care of yourself. So you can't go on a no longer last journey if you have way too much on your plate And having, you know, um, a partnership where there's a fair division of labor makes that easier. So with that in mind, let's dive into this topic. And I also want to give you some context for my own own experiences. So I've been a full-time stay-at-home mom for several years. Um, and then I transitioned to into being a part-time work-from-home mom. And then I transitioned into being a full-time working mom. Uh, my husband's been the full-time provider and now he's the full-time stay-at-home dad. And so if you're, you know, like 
wondering where I'm coming from. I'm coming from all of these experiences. I've had all of these experiences. And so the tips that I'm going to share today and the advice I'm going to share is going to apply to all of those experiences. Okay. So I have, I think there's seven tips in today's episode, and I just want to give you something to think about and something to ponder, something to try in each one of these. You know, these are not hard and fast rules, and these do not cure um, all marital challenges, okay? I want to be super clear um, that my marriage is not perfect, and I'm not trying to get anyone to idealize my situation. What I'm trying to share here are practical things that have really helped me Um, as an individual and as a partner and as a mother and hopefully that can help you too but please know that you know these are not cure-alls and I'm not a couples therapist so you know just keep all of that in context so the first thing that I want to share this is probably the longest tip so please um, kind of like bear with me here and that is to acknowledge what's not working and validate your feelings this is huge because for a really long time I thought that if I spoke up and talked with my husband about how I was drowning in all of the labor of being the homemaker, of being the primary parent, of being the stay-at-home mom, that I was drowning in it, I felt that if I spoke up about that, that made me a bad wife and a bad mom. There were so many heavy, visceral feelings of guilt and shame that I felt that I, for many years, kept a lot of those feelings to myself. Or even if I kind of voiced them to him, I didn't really like sit down and have a conversation and say something needs to change for many years i just in passing would express frustration or overwhelm with the home or with life and you know he would kind of help here or there but it wasn't anything like significant that changed for a very long time and that's because i didn't really uh feel like i could speak on it not because of anything that he did or didn't do but because We live in a society that perpetuates these stereotypical gender norms that says that a wife and a woman and a mother is supposed to do these things. She should do these things and that a husband, father, um, you know, and a man should do those things. And I felt like if I asked him to do more of what a quote, you know, wife or mom should do, that I was failing, that I was, there was something wrong with me, that I was being too sensitive, that I need to just try harder, manage my time better. And so it really just kept me suffering in silence for a long time. And, you know, the reason why I want to bring this up is because a lot of times I think we tend to gaslight ourselves and invalidate our feelings and tell ourselves that what we feel isn't real. And this is the root of the problem. This is the root of why we are not having the hard conversations to figure out how to create an equitable um, home. And, and, and it's because of this lack of awareness. We've all heard that saying, you know, the first step to healing is awareness. And truly, it applies here, applies in every area of life. So you have to acknowledge what you're really feeling and you have to know where it comes from. And I, and, and, I, and I really want to pass this on to you that your feelings are not because you're too sensitive or because something's wrong with you. You are being asked to do the impossible. You know, there have been two landmark studies that were published recently in the last decade that showed, number one, that the stay-at-home mom works an average of 98 hours a week. And I remember being stunned by that number when I heard it. But when I actually calculated when I woke up to when I finally finished, you know, cleaning the kitchen at night and finally went to bed seven days a week, I actually was working about 100 hours a week. And, you know, so it's true. That's, we're working, it's the equivalent of two and a half full-time jobs. 
And then there was another study that showed that even when a mom becomes a full-time working outside of the home breadwinner, she still does more household labor than the man does. This is statistically proven. And the reason why I bring this up is because it's so easy, again, to gaslight ourselves and to think that this is just like imaginary frustration or maybe we're on our period or maybe we're PMSing or some nonsense, some misogynistic, sexist nonsense. When in reality, there's literal data to back this up that we are overextended, that we have too much on our plates, that things are not designed in our favor, and that these stereotypes, these harmful gendered stereotypes of what a woman and a mom is supposed to do are so perpetuated and deeply ingrained by society, cultural norms, and religion that how do you expect yourself to just, you know, see it? You can't see what's right in front of you, right? It's like that saying, a fish doesn't realize that it's a fish. A fish doesn't realize it lives in the water, you know, because that's all it has. It's similar to these gendered stereotypes. You don't realize that that's what's burdening you and that's what's harming you because it's all you know and it's all anyone around us knows. And it takes a tremendous amount of courage to acknowledge our feelings, to say this isn't working for me, to validate our experiences and to say, I'm going to carve my own path even though there's no blueprint, even though people might judge me, even if we're the only ones who are going to do things differently, I want to design a life that prioritizes my well-being. And that's what it came to when uh, my burnout, you know, the cycle of burnout I was in was so severe and just kept reoccurring and reoccurring and reoccurring that I was like, something needs to change and we need to create our own blueprint and we need to decide what um, marriage looks like for us. And this that is an ongoing process. But it really starts with acknowledging those feelings and validating them because at the end of the day, if you are feeling hurt, then you are feeling hurt. And it doesn't matter if, quote unquote, this is just the way it's supposed to be. You deserve to feel good in your own life. You are not a servant in your home. And I know for me and the religion I grew up with, we were always taught to be servants to those we love. And all that did was cause me to be burned out and not present with those that I loved. So that's my first tip to you. It's really important. Take some time to journal on your feelings. Take some time to really even cry about it if you want to. Like it's important that we really feel how frustrating this is. And if we don't feel it, we're going to end up projecting a lot of that rage at our partner which is really unfair because our partner is also functioning within the gender stereotypes. They're just functioning within the way the society has already set things up. This doesn't, you know, the unfairness in the home that mostly harms mothers and women, it doesn't mean that our partners are out to get us or that they're intentionally trying to hurt us. But there is a difference between intention and impact. People can have good intentions or no intentions at all and not even realize what they're doing and their actions or inactions can still cause harm. And that harm is still real, and that hurt is still valid. So it's really important that you address that and you acknowledge that, because otherwise, if you shove it down, it just festers and fuels resentment, and it causes a lot of problems down the line. So yeah, that I just really encourage you to fully acknowledge your feelings here and, um, and, and have an honest conversation about how you're really feeling that doesn't it's not rooted and steeped in blame but just kind of like this is how I'm feeling and I want to build a different path together so the second tip I want to share is decide that you're going to find a path forward together that actually works for you and your family so good segue I guess right there 
Um, basically, after acknowledgement, you have to figure out a way forward and you need to do it together because a lot of times I've made this mistake in the past of being the one that like does all the mastermind brainstorming and tries to figure out a way forward and then I'm like, okay, trying to get buy-in from my husband on the plan and it's really hard to get buy-in when you're the only one who's weighed in on the plan. So set aside some time, ask the family or babysitter to watch the kids and really take time or you can even do this in the evenings. For a long time, my husband and I dedicated Wednesday nights after the kids went to bed to work on our finances or to have these types of conversations because you really are building a life that isn't modeled really by anyone. And you're gonna be doing something that your parents' generation didn't do. And you're gonna be doing something that there's no blueprint for. I mean, my my husband and I moved to Europe and we don't know anyone who did that. And we're building a life in, you know, completely different from anyone else. And, you know, it's just, it takes a lot of time and effort and it's really important that you do it together. Know that it's gonna be hard, but know that this is essential if you want to create a life where you're really sharing the mental load, you're sharing the responsibilities of the home and of parenting. The third thing I wanted to share is that you need to value what you bring to the family. And I'm speaking especially to the moms and the women who are not the primary paycheck earners. Society and capitalism has taught us that if you are not bringing a paycheck home, you are worthless, that you have no value because the only thing we are taught to value in America is economic value. And for so many years, this really harmed my self-worth. I felt when I became a stay-at-home mom, like I was almost discarded by society, that I didn't matter anymore, that I had no value because when someone asked what I did for a living, I said, oh, I don't work. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I don't do anything for a living. And again, being a stay-at-home mom is the equivalent of two and a half jobs. And it involves the skill sets of like six different professionals. And it's really devastating that we've all been programmed to think that being a stay-at-home mom or being the homemaker, so like this applies to you if you're married or you don't have kids or you're in a partnership and you don't have kids, like if you're not the one earning the primary paycheck, that somehow you don't have worth. And that causes a whole lot of problems. People, I've noticed in my work as a coach that the moms who don't earn the paycheck don't feel that they can ask for financial resources if they wanna attend a workout class or they want to hire a coach or go to therapy, or buy themselves clothes that fit them postpartum. Like they don't feel that they can ask for financial resources because they don't earn any money, so they don't feel that they're entitled to anything. Um, they don't feel that they're entitled to a break because they're like, my husband works all week, he deserves to have the weekend off. So then they don't ever get a break and they work that 98 hours a week on average that that study showed us, which I'll link in the show notes by the way. And then, and I'm telling you this from even my own personal experience. So I mommed all week, Monday through Friday while my husband was gone. And then on the weekend, I mommed as well. There was never a break. No wonder why we burn out. No wonder why we're in a cycle. No wonder why we never get any relief. And it's really, really devastating Like that I spent all of my early motherhood basically going through that cycle until I couldn't go through it anymore and had to get serious help. I will never forget a therapist who helped me when I was in the depths of postpartum depression with my second child. And I told her about how I just feel like I don't deserve to ask for anything. I don't deserve to ask for help with night feedings. I don't deserve to help to get weekends off or even get a couple hours off on a Saturday morning. 
I don't deserve to sleep in. Like, I really, really struggle with asking for anything. And she said, why? And I said, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I don't earn any money right now. And I remember this got worse because after I had my first child, I still worked part-time. But then after my second, I just couldn't do it. I needed to be a full-time stay-at-home parent. And so she had me list out all the things that I did at the home. And it was a very long list. And she was like, okay, so basically you're a chauffeur. You're like an executive assistant. You make a bunch of appointments. You get people to where they need to go. You um, track the finances. You do all of the grocery shopping. You do the meal planning. You cook three meals a day, make two snacks a day. You clean the entire house. Um, And she just went on and on. And then she started describing um, financial costs to each one of those things. And I think it came up to $120,000 a year. And she was like, you're saving your family $120,000 a year by doing all of this unpaid labor. And I remember being like shocked. Like, you're right. I'm staying home so that we can save this money. I'm staying home so that we can pay off our debt. I'm staying home so that there, so that our children can have their mother there because that was important to me and my husband. And I just realized like that's how powerful societal narratives are. And I keep wanting to drive that home. You know, I know it's intangible and we're like, oh, the patriarchy, blah, blah, blah. No, like if the patriarchy didn't exist and if these gendered stereotypes weren't so powerful, then why do we feel viscerally guilty about asking for help? Why do we feel viscerally guilty when we don't do something that is stereotypically a woman's job? It's because it's woven into the fabric of our society that that's what we are supposed to do. And when we do, when we don't do what we feel like we should do, we feel like we've broken the law. We feel like we've broken an unspoken rule and we've gone against the norm in an unsafe way. And so when she put this value to it, and I know it sounds, you know, a lot of people would just say, oh, just value yourself because you're raising your children and that's the most important job you can do. That's beautiful, but it's not enough to combat the capitalistic narratives of economic value being the primary, you know, measure of your worth, which is drilled into us ever since the very first question we're asked at four years old of what do you want to do when you grow up and being told, well, you shouldn't do that. You should do this because that makes more money. Like we are taught to care about economic value from the moment our brains can think of abstract concepts at six years old. So telling me that raising kids is the most important thing I'll ever do is not enough. And if you feel the same way, I want to remind you like this exercise of tying economic value to all of your unpaid labor is going to help you realize that this isn't, what you do is not nothing. What you do is so significant and it has economic value because if you were doing everything that you were doing as a stay-at-home parent, your partner would not be able to go to work and they would not be able to focus on their career because they would have to focus on all the stuff that you are handling. So that was a game changer for me. And so this segues into the next thing. This is something that's really helped my husband and I. We used to have a lot of tense conversations about money and we've really worked on this. And one of the things that's helped is having a monthly financial meeting. 
we have a spreadsheet that we use to track our cash flow and we have a process that we go through that's really worked for us and it's taken a really long time for us to get here so you know if you feel like you tried that and it didn't work stick to it and just keep adjusting and adapting this till it works for you but basically this is important because understanding what's going on with your finances should not just be a male thing and for a long time I just felt like understanding finances and being good with money was something that is just my husband's job and I remember being like I hate this like I remember growing up and my mom didn't really get much um, insight into the finances and that was a huge stressor for her so why would I generationally keep that up so thankfully we've broken that generational curse. But I also wanna just say that both parents should have a say in how the money is managed and what, where the money goes and what resources are purchased and what is saved. It shouldn't just be something that the person earning the paycheck gets to do because they're earning the paycheck so they should decide all the money. Again, you are empowering your partner to work outside the home by doing all of your unpaid labor. So you get to have a say. And I really want to emphasize this for the stay-at-home moms because I can't tell you how many times it's like, you know, I just don't feel like I can, you know, ask for to pay for therapy or I don't feel like I can ask to hire a sitter when I am the sitter. Again, why is it that, you know, your partner gets to have days off and they get to have paid sick days and they get to have, you know, vacation days from work, but you don't ever get to have that. And I encourage anyone who's a stay-at-home mom to try to see in the budget where you can get a sitter for one day a week, even if it's only for a half day, so that you have dedicated time that you can always look forward to that's just for you and your well-being. It is critical, and if I could go back and change anything about those early motherhood years, that is what I would have done because I would have been just so much better off if I allowed myself to see that I too deserved a break. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue with a couple more really awesome tips. Three more. And yeah, we'll see you after the break. Have you ever gotten a little time to take care of yourself and then you're instantly overwhelmed with what the heck you should do first? Yeah, I used to feel that way too. I call that self-care overwhelm, which leads to decision fatigue and results in you not taking care of yourself in the way that you really need to feel nourished and filled up. This used to be a constant problem for me back when I had my second baby, and that's when I created the 4B self-care framework to help my exhausted mom brain figure out what I needed to do to take care of myself with the small pockets of time and energy that I had. In this framework, there are four types of self-care, basic, boring, brilliant, and bougie. In my new mini course, I teach you about these four types of self-care, I show you how to prioritize, and I give you a printable to plan out your self-care over a 30-day period to help you go on your own journey of self-discovery to figure out what you really need to feel healthy, happy, and taken care of. You can get this mini course completely for free on my website at miahemstad.com forward slash course. I'll have it linked in the show notes as well. All right, tip number five may be a little bit controversial and I resisted it for a very long time, but it's to create a chore chart. And my husband and I actually did this a couple of months ago at the prompting of my therapist because I was getting really frustrated, feeling like I was carrying mentally the burden of everything that needed to be done in the house 
And I always had to say and tell my husband to do it. And he would get it done, but I was tired of always having to remember and be like, it's been a week, the bathroom needs to be cleaned. It's been, you know, three weeks, we need to mop the floors. It's been, you know, I just like was tired of being the one who always remembered. And the reason why I was always the one who remembered was because I was raised to be a housewife. My mom, from the age, my, the age of eight, when I was eight years old, like I was taught one domestic task after the other. My husband was taught to cook and you know, like do some basic cleaning, but he wasn't um, he wasn't raised to be a homemaker the way I was raised to be a homemaker. I was raised to be somebody's wife, um, and that's it. To be a wife and have kids, and by the way, that's fine if that's what you want to do, but I wasn't given a choice in the matter. So what I'm trying to say with this is you can't expect somebody who wasn't conditioned to see things the way you see them to then see things the way you see them. So something that really helped with that and bridging that gap was having both of us sit down and actually list out every single thing that needs to get done around the house and when that would get done. What would be a daily chore versus a weekly chore versus a monthly chore versus a quarterly chore? And then, you know, because I'm the full-time breadwinner at the moment, um, like 90% of those tasks are my husband's because that's his full-time job right now, especially now that the kids are in full-time full-time school. So that really was a game changer. And if you've been struggling with, you know, carrying the mental load of the household responsibilities and you're tired of it and you kind of want the good intentions of, you know, there are many times I'd have conversations with my husband about how tired I am of having to repeat things. And he'd be like, I'm sorry, I'll try better to do this better or I'll try harder to remember. Um, I was starting to get frustrated hearing that because the good intention of I will try harder was rarely followed up with like a tangible, like how are you gonna try harder? And the chore chart was a way to demonstrate, I've thought through this, I've made a plan, and if I don't stick with something, I will communicate it with you. And it's still a work in progress, it's not perfect, but I will say that it's helped a lot. And it's definitely changed the way that I approach any sort of conflict now. If I need him to do something, and you know he expresses a good intention to do it I often well not often this is recent but I, I basically am like you know what it actually would be nice if you could like write down the things that you're going to do pertaining to this thing I need um, and when you're going to do them because then it helps me know that you've thought through the practicality of implementing this good intention or pursuing this goal or this thing that we need um, so try that uh, at first I thought it was a little juvenile to have a chore chart, ch- chore chart but now I know that it's just a tool and it just helps there to be less mental load. I don't have to carry so much in my head. And honestly, I've been more creative since this chore chart has been implemented. And I know that sounds wild, but I'm telling you the truth. It's been a great relief to not have to think about it. Um, And then the next tip I wanna give you, tip number six, is couples therapy. We started couples therapy a couple months ago and I resisted it for a long time because the budget's been really tight. But we found somebody um, who takes a really... um, low sliding scale and they're a great therapist and we pay um, $50 a session I want to be transparent of what low means for us and honestly I wish we started this a lot sooner I really I really wish we did because as much as it's nice to travel and have nice things I'm telling you like 2023 I invested more money in therapy than I ever have my own therapy couples therapy etc and I can't even begin to express how valuable it is to have peace of mind because it doesn't matter what country you move to if you are having internal battles 
and you don't address that, your traumas, your internal battles, the things that make you feel guilty, ashamed, you know, being broken down by abuse and needing to rebuild your self-worth, you need support through that. You do. And I would rather have that inner peace than have the latest thing. So I highly encourage that, um, encourage therapy. You don't need to be falling apart to get therapy. It, It could just facilitate better communication, keep you out of patterns that are unhealthy or unhelpful. And it's just helpful to have a professional who can help you work through any baggage that you might have. So <clears throat> seek that out if it resonates. And then lastly, regularly discuss your wants and needs to make sure they're being met. Like I said, this is an ongoing process and it's really important to you know, make sure that you're having a discussion on a regular basis, whether that's weekly or monthly, maybe it can happen once a month. But the thing is, is that it's important to have this conversation because whoever is naturally inclined to be the caretaker is always going to end up giving up a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more of their time. And it's important to keep that checks and balances of making sure people's needs are met. And I want to give an example here. So, you know, naturally we approach the weekends as our time off, but when you have kids, it's also family time. So it can be hard to have time off and my husband and I both need time alone to recharge and do creative things and and things like that and you know for a while I realized that I'm the one who's really using weekend time to be with the kids and then to be on my own he really wasn't getting any time and so we talked about that I think in couples therapy and that made me realize okay well you know my first inclination was I need to give up the weekend and give him the weekend but I was already feeling like resentful about that because I work so hard Monday through Friday I, I work two jobs so what we decided was he would take one day a week while the kids are at school to completely rest and recharge and do whatever he pleases during that day he doesn't have to clean he doesn't have to do anything like that so we were able to come to a solution that enables both of us to meet our needs. And I think that that's really important. So just know that this is something that it's an ongoing process. It should be built into the rhythms and routines of your lives. Um, And yeah, it's a really beautiful thing when you embark on this journey of, you know, acknowledging what's not working, validating each other's feelings, meeting each other's needs, and really acknowledging how these like gendered stereotypes are impacting the way that you feel about your role, the way that you feel about what you are and aren't allowed to have and go, this is all, these are all just made up constructs. You get to change them. And it does require a lot of courage and some people might judge, but at the end of the day, this life is yours. You and your kids are going to benefit so much if you can just live a life and design a life that is gonna support your health happiness and well-being and while my life is not perfect it is significantly better for having gone through this process and continuing to do this work so thank you so much for listening to this week's episode i will see you in two weeks and um, in the meantime make sure you subscribe to my weekly letter i'm restarting those and they're gonna have a new fun structure with tips and advice that are going to really help you apply what you hear in the podcast and just give you things to think about so you can keep going on your no longer last journey. I'll see you next time. Bye.